everybody and welcome to the poetry space today we are going to be having an open mic experiment which i'm going to call an experiment and hopefully call the experiment a success at the end of the space of course as you guys know uh this week tim is flying back to california as we speak so he is as we speak haha there's a pun already so he is not going to be part of the space today. So we are going to have the goal of having such an awesome space that Tim's like, how did I not schedule my flight differently or something like that, maybe. So anyway, uh, it's <laughs> good to see you guys so far, especially because you are my A crew that has actually sent me some poems that we're going to read today, which is all the more exciting that you are here. And now's the point where I would normally ask Tim when he's drinking, so maybe I should just ask myself and say I am drinking coffee, espresso, to be to be most truthful about it. So it's great to see you here, George and Joe and Doodle Slice and Dick Westheimer. Thanks so much for coming today. And I thought we would go ahead and start off today uh, with Joe Barca. Dick Westheimer, if you want to tweet a poem to me, given that you have about 8,000 amazing poems last time I checked, and one you would like to share during the space, we would love uh, to read. Attracta, hi. That goes for you too. If there's a poem that you would like to share today in the space, just tweet it. You can do it as a comment or to my other tweet, um, just so that people can read along with it too, if, uh, if they want to, because I know that I prefer to be able to see text along with hearing all of y'all's wonderful voices. And hi to Amelie as well. Thanks for joining us. So we're gonna go ahead and jump to Joe Barca an amazing poet who also gets the total gold star because of the fact that he was the first to share a poem with me as of like the end of the space last week. So hello, teacher's pet, Joe Barca. How are you doing today? Thank you, Kitty. This teacher's pet thing goes back to about the second grade. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I blame my six-year-old daughter, right? She, <laughs> she's on that, you know. So you're a teacher's pet today. I'm sorry, everybody, the position has been filled. Oh, that's too funny. But yeah, so I would love to read a poem. And certainly, Katie, after I read it, if you have any questions about it. Also, as you know, with some of my poems, there's there's long stories behind them or how they evolved. So happy to chat about that, too. I, I tweeted one late last week and one yesterday. The, the one yesterday is more of a, a backup. We don't have to read two. We can see how it goes. All right, Katie? Yeah, that sounds great. I'm definitely giving priority to like you know, people who went ahead and shared poems. So hopefully we'll get to both. But I think you wanted to start with uh, Second Chances, which they, you talk a little bit about, you know, how, what you were thinking when you sat down to write this poem, and then I can pin it to the top so everybody can read along with it, too. Sure, you want me to give the background first or read first? I didn't follow you, Katie. The background, please. So uh, it's, you know, the story of a poem, right? So I was visiting, my, my wife and I were visiting my son and daughter-in-law in Mexico City, never been there before. We had an amazing visit, but one of the coolest things was, I'm from the Northeast, the Boston area. I never heard of nor seen a jacaranda tree. So if you're not familiar with them, especially when in bloom, they're these stunning purple flowers that are just spectacular. I have some pictures that I took that are just shockingly beautiful. So so that was one thing that was in my head when I was visiting. And another thing is that my daughter-in-law said that they had had a bird who flew into their apartment uh, through an open window and couldn't get out. And it took my son some time to sort of shoo the, the bird out the window. Um, and the third thing, and this is, you know, as we all try to write, it's where the ideas come from. When I go to bed at night, oftentimes I look up at the ceiling and I swear there's this image of like a 
a white window. It's not really a window, but there's like a rectangular shape. And I've often thought for years, how can I incorporate that into the poem? So those are three threads that were in my mind at the time of writing it. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit more, Katie, about how it got to the, the finish line, if I will. Does that sound all right? That sounds great. And I have to say, I, I love hearing where these parts of the poem fly in because it's such a similar process to me where something just really sparks my interest. And then without even processing that, when I sit down to write at night, there it just comes right back out. So it's fun to hear you talk about that as well. Flying uh, more literally, I guess, in your case with the bird incident. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, well, I knew. And, and I actually, I have a, a quote, a Dick Westheimer quote that comes into my head a lot that influences my writing more. And I think he said it about maybe a month ago. And it's sort of like he was talking about um, writing poems for Poets Respond, I think. And he, he said he looks for sort of a metaphor as a doorway into the poem. And so that that's a super cool quote. I think it's from Dick. So anyway, I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to talk about the editorial process with the poem and sort of how that used to work for me and how it works today. So let's give it a go. It's called Second Chances, Mexico City, 2023. I head back to my apartment, a little drunk, a little full, and a little happy. I forgot, forgot to close the window before I left. There's a bird flying around the living room, beak banging into a closed window. An Inca dove I fail to catch. I grip a towel and cover it, release it out the window, the bird and the towel separate mid-flight. Jacaranda trees in bloom. I lay in my dark bed that night, see a white window on the ceiling. I rise and pass through. My now-dead mother is laying on the well-worn couch in our family home. She's reading the Bible. I tell her how much I miss her. She asks for tea with milk. I put the kettle on and wrap an afghan around her. I grab the frame of the white window, pull myself back through. Outside my apartment the next day, a little girl is begging. It's raining purple petals. And this poem was published in Gyroscope Review this summer, so that's super cool. Um, so, Katie, you want me to just chat a little bit about the editorial evolution? Does that sound good? Yeah, it's a really great poem, I have to say, too. I love the image of the Jaconda tree, which you taught me the name of a tree, which is another thing I love about poetry. It was actually funny, too, because not too long after uh, you sent this poem to me, I think when when you heard it was published, and when I so I've seen it uh, through a few iterations at that point. And then uh, Tim and I were waiting for a table to open at a restaurant in Southern California. And we were walking around. And I was like, what are these trees? These are the most amazing trees I've ever seen. <laughs> and so it's like, there's a conscious trees. And I was like, wait, I should know that from Joe Parker's poem. So that's, well, it was, yeah, such a cool image. So if you're from the West Coast or you've been to Mexico at the right time of year, I know you've seen them. But um, yeah, so just a little bit about the process, because as a new poet about 10 years ago, I would write things and just put them on Twitter or put them out there. And there really wasn't too much of an editorial process. It was sort of all just visceral or from the gut. And so since then, um, Starting last year, I started taking actual poetry classes. I think I took six of them in the last 10 months. And also, I attended Critique of the Week. Tim's, Katie, you can talk more about that if people don't know what it is, but Tim's Critique of the Week every Friday for about 13 months. And so 
I learned so much from all of these experiences. And then, so this poem and another one I posted, we might talk about later, literally went through my one poetry class, all this feedback from all these wonderful peers and classmates. And it went through critique of the week. If you ever been there or listened to it, you get a lot of feedback. I mean, a lot of feedback and it's not, and I don't mean to say it's not gentle, but it's very direct and very Tim and everyone on there is not shy, I'll say. And I'm sure Katie will be giving me a thumbs up on this. So you sort of, I sort of put my work out there and you have to be really vulnerable and really willing to listen and, and also trust yourself and separate that which makes sense from that which doesn't. But the poems have gone from one one end of the spectrum to the other back and forth. And I'm like, will I ever finish this? Will I ever sleep at night worrying about this poem? Is it ever going to be ready? So um, so that's, I just, it's so, it's been so valuable for me. The most important thing I've learned in the last year is to trust other people to a certain extent with their input and shape the poem based on the richness of their feedback. And don't be so possessive of every word and every line and you know, that it can always evolve and be better. So I just wanted to share that background on that poem, Katie, and everybody else. If anyone has any questions or anything, but that's the scoop. Well, that's wonderful. And thanks so much for sharing that poem with us. I, I really love it. And it, it's been so fun to get to watch that poem evolve. I mean, I remember, as I'm sure Dick Westheimer does, because he's there every week too, you know, when we first saw that poem in Critique of the Week, and it was already like a good poem, you know, it, it already was and everyone knew that. And with Critique of the Week, what I think is so great that Tim does every Friday um, that is a free workshop experience for anyone that wants to come join on YouTube or on Facebook, um, where the poets that are watching will help by putting in their comments and their thoughts. So you get the benefit of, you know, the editor of Rattle Magazine, Timothy Green's thoughts on your poem, which you can submit for the opportunity to be chosen to look at your poems for that week. And sometimes he does a lightning round where you can just send in poems on the fly and, and get read that way. But it is really important with the workshop experience to you know, find a group that is meaningful where it, I think it helps so much that I know people's taste even within our little workshopping group. And so you can look at what their feedback is and evolve from it. And it is, you know, constructive criticism being so important. You know, I think if somebody is saying, hey, you should change this part of your poem, they should be able to tell you objectively why. Otherwise, you should consider not changing it because there is bad advice out there too. If I could add one other thing too. And so also in addition to classmates and, and uh, critique of the week, it's good to have trusted friends. Katie and I are good friends. And just for example, the line in Inca Dove I Failed to Catch was a line that was in there, but the words were ordered differently. So Katie suggested changing the order of the words, which is really a great line now. And you also have to not be too possessive because sometimes a change a friend will make will be the, the line that everybody loves. So it's like, okay, you, sometimes you have to let go of this stuff and realize it's a communal or a collective, hopefully a little bit of magic. So that's Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we've said on the space before that ultimately everything is a form of collaboration. Uh, for example, too, uh, when I had uh, the Hyben accepted for Frog Pond Magazine, I actually hadn't given that poem a tremendous amount of thought. And I didn't even basically have a title, which violates one of my own rules about my poem. I just called it Hyben. And then I heard it was going to be published. And I was like, gosh, I gotta, I gotta rename this. And Tim suggested the title for the Hyben. So that was a collaboration there too. 
And uh, yeah, it just, you know, the best songs I think build upon one another. So I'm glad you like that line. I don't even remember suggesting uh, the rewording of the Inca dub line, but I like how it's written. So I guess I ultimately agree with myself. So <laughs> way to go, Joe, on getting that poem published too. And, you know, walking that process through revisions and everything to it landing in a full home. And thank you for being smart, supportive, and not shy, Katie, with helping me. So thank you. <laughs> well, thanks for trusting me with, with looking at your poems before they're, you know, at the completely polished, perfect level of this particular poem. So I appreciate that. And let's see, next, I think Sylvie is in the UK. I'm going to invite her to speak because I know it's getting late over there. So Sylvie, I sent you a speaker invite. I know you asked to go on early, but I'm inviting you. And let's see, there you are. Now you're a speaker. So hi, Sylvie. How are you doing today? Hi, Katie. Oh, it's good to be here. Uh, yeah, thank you for letting me go second. I appreciate that. It's getting on a bit uh, in Scotland here. Um, I was just... Uh, I, I'm a bit nervous now about um, following on from uh, that amazingly economical and quite beautiful poem that just went before me. Um, the poem that I've got is is quite rambling. It's quite unusual for me. It's um, I've basically taken the the. Sorry, do, would you like me to say a bit about it? Sorry, just going on here in my Irish way. And that, you, totally. And I was just going to say, too, you are completely among friends, so you don't need to feel nervous at all. And Sylvie, I have a good authority that your poem was read at NFT NYC, not the poem you're going to read for us tonight. But as an exhibited poet at NFT NYC, I think you come from a place of authority. Uh, so please, we're excited to hear in your beautiful voice. Well, bless your heart. I really appreciate it. Um, okay, well, this is actually a reimagining of one of my favorite poems by Rudyard Kipling. Um, it's called If. It's probably his, his, it's probably his most well-known. Um, he was um, a writer, has been accused of colonialism and all sorts of other things, which, you know, he may or may not be uh, uh, guilty of. But I think it's a great shame because his work is just quite outstanding. It's studied a lot in schools. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I would l love to read it. I've just got to get into my direct messages because I, uh, I've only got my phone. I'm at my brother's house. So <laughs> let me just, oh, I hope I'm still there. Am I still there? Yes, I am. Hooray. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get onto this. Um, right. Here we go. Okay. I haven't read this before, so, um, if you wouldn't mind just bearing with me. Okay, it's also in the form of a love letter and it's about um, mixed race love. Um, I write about that a lot, um, about feeling too black or whatever. And also um, it's a, a, a queer poem as well. Um, I sometimes write that. <clears throat> Thank you. So I'll just go ahead. So, Mamor, if you can keep the love when all about us are losing theirs and blaming it on lust. If you can trace my words when the ink runs dry and read them for what they say and hear them too. If you can wait for me for longer than 40 years and stay the course, don't leave the path or feel the cold and scrape the glass or make yourself too visible nor speak my name. If you can remain calm but never lose your core if you can believe but not make hate your aim, 
if you can meet with racism and ignorance and hold those two bullies softly in your arms, if you can listen to others' hate about our love and the cat calls out of cars at night or brace as our walls shake when hatred batters them and pick me up one kiss at a time to rebuild again. If you can face your father and his disdain and risk his wrath by kissing me just the same and lose me once again and then again and never blame me for that loss, even in the rain. If you can take me in the night while devils hunt and dignify my light and your blazing cadence and keep believing in our spirit and our place despite the banshee howls for our disgrace. If you can speak to those who are deaf to sense, or sail on ships that found a thrice on rocky threats, but keep on our true course, then we can be as one. If every friend or brother speaks countless no's, but you can write yes a thousand times in sand, and like Canute keep the tide from bleeding into land, then I am yours, and all that I have is black, and you have white, then shall we go softly into night. Oh, Sylvie, that's beautiful. I love the rhymes and, and your voice really brings it to life too, since I, I was lucky to have the full version in my DMs, so I got to read the actual text. But I have to say, I, I hope too, I know that that is, is being published. I also hope that you make it not only into an NFT, but a video NFT with your spectacular voice reading it too. So that's just beautiful. Thank you for sharing oh, it. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for listening to it. As I said, I feel it's a, a bit of a kind of epic. Uh, <laughs> it's very unusual for me. I hardly ever write that. But, you know, it's just, uh, just um, yeah, moved and I just went for it. So thank you very much for everybody for listening. And if you've got any questions, just, just ask away. Yeah, I think Joe Barca has his hands up and would like to comment on your poem. So go ahead, Joe. Sure. So first of all, I just love the read it i think your energy is just top notch um i love the air rhymes the plant rhymes uh path and glass i love the use of word of of two bullies i mean i just thought it was mellifluous i thought that it, it was not too long i'm really a fan of poems that, that long that's longer than i would write definitely was on point with its length so kudos to you Oh, thank you so much. That that means a lot coming from you. You're very well published and and obviously a beautiful poet. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, that was just great. Thanks again, Sylvia, for sharing that. And I'm with Joe too. You know I write really short poems, but that definitely did not feel too long for me. So well done. Thank That's you. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, now we're gonna move on to, let's see, two people. I don't know which one of you guys shared it first. I think that George shared, tweeted the poem first, George Pisana, who tweeted to me a palindrome poem that is Murder by Locomotive. So how are you doing today, George? I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, I, added a, I'm, I added a link to the, uh, to, to the poem in the, uh, in, in the little guide, uh, or in the, uh, <laughs> in, in the, uh, in the notes, I I can't put it up on the nest because of my setup, but um, uh, yeah, this is a this is a, a word unit palindrome poem, and uh, this this I this one I think is kind of cool. I mean, it's 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 uh, uh, it's 111 words, and then there's one pivot word, and then there's the original 111 words, but in the reverse order. 
So that that fact itself is just I like those you know one 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 it like it adds a little palindrome ness to it. Um, George, can you just remind us what the a word unit palindrome means versus just if you just said palindrome, just so everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, a word unit palindrome is one where when you 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 read the poem word by word, and you can read it both backwards and forwards, and and, and uh, it's like the same thing but in reverse order. But when you read it for all the way through, it has one one long meaning. Um, whereas just a normal palindrome poem would be the letters themselves would be forwards and backwards. Like say, Abel was I, ear, ear I saw Elba, which is the, is the, the pseudo famous uh, you know, thing that Napoleon could have said where it's like you read it backwards and forwards and it's the same. Like Abel was I, ear I saw Elba because he was exiled there. Um, and those, you know, word by word uh, poems, uh, palindrome poems are the ones that I write because they're a little bit easier to write <laughs> than the than the letter by letter ones. I find the letter by letter ones to be impossible. But uh, but when I can pull off one of the word by word ones, I kind of like that. There is a trade off though, is because the word by word palindrome poems they're 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 very puzzle like because I, I like puzzles, and so they don't work so well when you read them out loud. It's something that you want to like read and and think about various times, and that's one of the reasons why I included the link because the link includes questions for consideration at the end because <laughs> it may be that after i read this people are going to be going what what are you saying what you know i mean, I mean so but uh anyways uh, that's that's like uh i guess that's my little introduction is that a, is that a useful introduction that is great that's wonderful and yeah it's a different but you know what too i think what's interesting about it you know with palindrome poems having that where maybe they're not as musical as some of the other poetry we're more used to uh, I do feel the puzzle within them, though, in their sort of not as lyric quality. So I'm excited to hear you read this one. And it is pinned to the top. Anybody wants to read along? Okay. All right, so here I go. I'll start. Murder by locomotive. Dark, the outside trains the eyes, detective. Visiting the rising sun, comforting somewhat the collapsed stars as children their cherished dinosaurs plays the distracting role leading his following bloomers, billowing Cecilia's above the fray, growing blindly. Miscalculations, stony as planets, puncture the order eternal, and sublime justices suspect criminals subliminal. Prosecution and defense both move that words are untrustworthy vehicles, shrieking bloody murder. Of evidences, only the truly material matter. Is this rule the fixed stars directing? Answers the detective. Self-deceptive the promises, virtuous the compromising. Duty of dereliction engineers corrupt conduct. Intent Lucifer's whisper clues, convincing lunatics to cleave shadows as moons following departed. Those a vision tunnel inside the light, the inside tunnel vision of those departed, following moons as shadows cleave to lunatics. Convincing clues whisper Lucifer's intent, conduct corrupt engineers. Dereliction of duty, compromising the virtuous, promises the self-deceptive detective the answers. Directing stars fix the rule. This is matter material, truly the only evidences of murder, bloody shrieking vehicles. Untrustworthy are words that move both defense and prosecution, subliminal criminals. Suspect justices, sublime and eternal, order the puncture, Planets as stony miscalculations, blindly growing, 
fray the above Cecilia's, billowing bloomers, following his leading role, distracting the plays. Dinosaurs cherished their children as stars collapsed the somewhat comforting sun. Rising, the visiting detective eyes the trains outside the dark. And that's the end. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, George. And, you know, there's a question I've always wondered, which is how much had you been into poetry before you got into writing palindrome poems specifically? Like, did the palindrome, was that your gateway into writing poetry? Or, or was it that you found palindromes as, like, an exploration deeper within poetry? Uh, the, the palindrome was a, was a later thing. I, I, um, I, I, I've been writing poetry since I was a teenager. Um, but I didn't actually uh, even know about word unit palindromes until 2020. And I was on uh, one of these forums on, uh, on Facebook and these, these poetry forums. And somebody as a challenge, they said, okay, write a, write a word unit palindrome poem. This is how it works. And so I thought, oh, that's, that might be kind of a neat challenge. And so I tried it and I, and I was able to pull one off and I really, really liked it. And, uh, and so I've been doing more of those now just because I, I think I'm kind of getting a, a little groove going as to how to go about making them. Uh, so that was a, it was, it was a later, it was a later formation, I guess, or a later, a later discovery of mine. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I think that that would be a foray that made more sense into to poetry and then getting into what I, I consider like there to be like a mathematical component of that. And with my poker background, like I really appreciate that too and how it's an interesting way to unlock something that's a different, you know, than, than a traditional poem, I think. So that's really neat. Let's see. I think Joe Barca put his hand up in response to, uh, to your poem, George. So let's hear from him before we get over to Doodle Slice. Sure. So one thought I have is sometimes when I talk to people about what I do, I say, you know, I write poetry and they're like, well, what about fiction? What about this? What about that? And I'm kind of almost embarrassed to say all I write is poetry. And, and, but even within that, like, what if I was a palindrome poet and that's all I did? And there's something so magical about going deeper and deeper and deeper into like one niche. Then you, you know, maybe someday you become the expert or the guru. So, so congratulations on that. The other thing is that I love bloomer. I'm probably not going to get it right because I was scribbling the bloomering or the bloomer and the billowing, the criminal and the subliteral, so, subliminal. I love the alliteration, the consonants, the assonance. There's so many techniques that you deployed, you know, separate from the form. And so, and then you have a very good, clear, uh, clear, concise reading voice. And you sort of like punch out the words very, very well. So kudos to you on the poem and the delivery of it. Hey, thanks. I, I try to put a lot of those alliterations and rhyme in there because it's easy to make the sentences sound stilted when they go backwards. And so I try hard to, you know, I try, I try, I try hard to prevent stiltiness as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's well illustrated in the line, as stars collapse the somewhat comforting sun versus sun comforting somewhat the collapsed stars. The alliterative S's in there really make it, you know, sound beautiful both ways and have new meaning both ways, which is, I guess, kind of the point of a palindrome poem. So way to go on that, George. And thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, let's see. So Doodle Slice has his hand up, and Doodle Slice is an awesome poet who has both NFT poetry and then traditionally published poetry. He also has the book Color Me with Hugs, which is super cool because it combines his illustrations alongside poems, and it was in my daughter's Easter basket this year, I have to say. So how are you doing today, David? 
I'm good. I, I actually put my hand up because I wanted to uh, add on to the praise on, on that poem. Uh, I just found it fascinating and so intriguing how reversing the word order changes changes the pairings, changes the phrasing, and, and you know, it really does make you want to kind of sit with it and, and chew on it and, and sort of explore it. Um, and and I'm, I may have to uh, try and, and write a few now because uh, I, I, you know, that, that phrase, Abel was I, I you know, I've, I've known that one for years and always thought palindromes were neat, but I never thought about trying to write uh, a poem in that mode. So uh, thank you for the exposure and, and thank you for sharing such a wonderful example. Well, thanks. Thanks to everybody for all your, your kind messages. That's very nice. Thank you. Yeah, and just to say one more thing as we're obsessing over George's awesome poetry, I, I love that you write them to look, you know, in the shape of an hourglass. It just works so well, you know, with how you choose to, to orient it, which draws attention to it. And then obviously calls to calls to light our limited time here on earth giving you know a further profoundness to every single one of the pieces that you do like that so great job and george yeah and if, if i could just say real quick on the on the shape um there's i i try only like when i do a palindrome poem i try to i try to have it have something to do with something which is recurring or which oscillates because that way the form kind of follows that and it also makes it very easy to find the middle part of the poem. Just go to the very middle and, and that's the center point. So, so you compare the first word with the middle word with the last word. And that's, that's kind of cool too, but that's why I do that. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's so, and it's so intelligent and so clear, you know, from looking at the poem and everything that there is so much to go on and definitely a poem to revisit and continue to unpack. So great job. So Doodle Slice, David, uh, you shared everything or nothing at all for us that I was hoping you were going to read today. And I'll go ahead, if you give me a second, if you intro, talk a little bit about the poem and I'll pin it to the top while you do that. Great. Yes, I would love to. Um, yeah, so I often like to inject a bit of humor into my poems. Um, and so this is uh, one of those attempts. Uh, and I mean, its origin just kind of came from, I, I found myself running into everything seasoning all over the place. Actually, I was kind of appalled one day to see everything croissants in a grocery store. And so this was, uh, in reaction to that. So <clears throat> without further ado, everything or nothing at all. I was dubious. I even scoffed. Spice Islands, McCormick, even those bastards at Whole Foods, plundering my heritage, everything seasoning. It's the new pumpkin spice. $5.79, not even five whole ounces, gobsmacked in the spice aisle. I could plot. I had these ingredients haunting a dusty rack in the no man's land behind the toaster. Why not save a buck? Mix my own. Heavy on the garlic flakes, feared by milk toast marketers. Why not buy a bagel? Like my father, like my mother. The perfect expression of everything. But there it was, accusingly silent. What weakness of will or sinister counterintelligence 
brought me to this Corian crossroads. Like a gray probing a farmer, I inspected the interloper, breaking its shrink wrap and tearing the pull seal, a cursed pull seal, no doubt superglued by anarcho-capitalists infiltrating factories nationwide. Replacing the strainer, sieve, uh, holy arbiter, on, on the diameter of tiny circles, everything depended. Without bagel, I turned to sourdough, tawdry vice of Frisco, pandemic rite of passage, shamefully store-bought. I toasted. Everything waited for the ding. Grass-fed butter, softening for eight slow seconds in the microwave. Was there no end to my hypocrisy? Everything was silent as the toaster glowed. Ding! The shrill bell of judgment. Sourdough slathered with Irish fairy tales. Everything rested in my hands. I sprinkled, and there was everything, everywhere, all at once. I was happy. Oh, that's so great, dude. I really enjoyed that. It's, it's a great showing of how you can reach a, a more a heartwarming, can I say heartwarming, or a toasted place as a result of following humor to get there. So I, I love your poetry. I love your commitment to, to being humorous in poems. We need more funny poems. People always have this impulse, as I probably do also, to be serious in poems. But writing funny poems is actually really difficult, and your work is great. Thank you so much. And, and I do write some dark and depressing and all that good stuff, too. But got to throw some humor in once in a while, after all. Yeah, definitely. I think we have some comments uh, still from Sylvie and then Joe. Do you guys want to comment on Doodle Slice's poem? Oh, God, that was so brilliant. It was absolutely fantastic, not just because of its comedic value, but because every single word was so beautifully placed. And, oh, I've got to read a lot more now. I've got to read a lot more <laughs> of your work. I'm going to look up and I'm going to read because, uh, yeah, you just, you blew me away. It was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. I'm blushing. <laughs> you can go ahead, Joe. You're so good waiting for me to get you. Go ahead. You go ahead. Thank you. Host, solo host, you know what I mean? So I'm very, we're dependent on you, Katie. <laughs> uh, so first of all, the magic in most poems are in the details. And I think every word, every line was a detail. And it was a deep, the details work because they resonate for, for so many of us. So that's great. The other thing, I think there's a certain bravery in doing humor because if you don't do it well, you really fall flat. And so it takes a certain amount of courage. So kudos to you. Also, clever use of personification, really making the mundane sublime and the in like the coolest, cleverest, funniest silliest way and uh so kudos to you thank you so much i really appreciate it yeah i feel like the impulse to uh quote without bagel i turn to sourdough i think that's hilarious i think that's going to be the kind of thing too where like the next time i'm standing in front of bagels in a grocery store perhaps even whole foods I will be standing there and be like, without bagel, I turn to sourdough. And hopefully I won't say it out loud because I'll get some really strange looks if I do. Uh, but maybe that's, that's more of a reason to say it out loud. Oh, please say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, life is too short. We need more of everything, right? We'll have to say it out loud. So do you want to talk about, though, um, too, 
how that poem came to be, like how, because I, I think too, sometimes, you know, with, with talking about the bravery required, like Joe Barker was talking about in writing a humorous poem, like if one of these things flies in that could be a poem, I think maybe as adults, we're like quicker to be like, that can't be a poem or something, or like have our subconscious kind of squash it. But I'm imagining that this started with you eating a bagel or <laughs> wanting to eat, wanting to spice something with everything spiced. So the entry seems kind of obvious, but how did it go from that to you actually sitting down to write the poem, David? Well, I think it was just sort of this kind of human moment of, I had resisted that, you know, little container of everything spice uh, or everything seasoning uh, many times seen it and just thought, nah, it's ridiculous, you know. And like I said, seeing a croissant that was everything crusted just seemed sort of wrong, like in the way that chocolate wine is wrong. Um, and I just, but, you know, then I was like, you know, it'd be kind of convenient. And, and I live in Atlanta and your bagel options in Atlanta are definitely not what they are where I grew up in New Jersey. And so I was like, well, you know, maybe this would help uh, a little bit. And, and it is awfully convenient, you know, to buy poppy seeds and garlic and do all of that. And and so, but then I'm like, I, I got it. And like, this is ridiculous. And I've always, you know, get angry at those little tabs you have to peel off that, you know, whoever made those seem like they were designed to not work well. And, uh, you know... And just those silly kind of real moments of like, if those little holes at the top of the thing are too big, then everything comes out too fast. And if they're too small, then it's a pain. And then, you know, and, and it's just all of these little tiny things that accumulate around what you do and you don't even think about them. And, and I don't know, I have this like absurd desire to kind of throw those back and, and show them to you and show you just a little bit of how silly some of these things in life we are. And if it gives you a little pleasure, just enjoy it, you know, because there's enough that's so deadly serious in this world that why not, you know, a little, little poppy seeds, not going to hurt you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this feels like too, interestingly, we could be talking about your poetry or we could be talking about like how Seinfeld came to be the best sitcom of all time. <laughs> like, both of these are, are, are similar in nature, I think. Well, so I will confess, I've, I've taken some improv classes in the past, and I'm sure that, you know, is in some manner in my process. And, and I do try to say, you know, in the improv world, they teach you to say yes and, which isn't necessarily yes. agreeing, but like accepting the truth of the idea and taking mm -hmm. it further. And I'm an mm -hmm. improviser. It's in my visual art. It's in... It's in how I write. So there's definitely a yeah. lot of that yes and. That's a really good point. I'm trying to teach that to my daughter, like when we play Barbies and I'm like, look, this Barbie's going to ride the unicorn. And she's like, no. And I'm like, you always say yes. That's the rule. I don't make the rules of improv. We follow the rules of improv. So that's really interesting to see very clearly now when I read your poetry, I'm going to be seeing how the yes and translates into your poem. And probably you've probably trained your brain to just continually run with what you have, which is what we're trying to do in poetry. So that was awesome. Thanks so much for sharing it. Thank you so much. And let's see. So now we should go. I think we should move along to Dick Westheimer, who is going to be changing the pace and sharing a wonderful poem with us today, I hope. And then after that, 
we will go to attract us. So how are you doing today, Dick? I'm doing wonderful. And I love hearing um, uh, the way people are talking about their poems and their process, which is why I switched up and sent you a second poem, Katie, because it's one that I wanted to talk about the process a little bit. The I Like Muons, uh, did you get that link? Uh, you're muted. Sorry. No, I was just, I was clicking furiously through different things and I had to click back because I have to do it all on my phone. So I, I let me just, you talk about that and I will find uh, a new okay. one. Uh, so okay. So I have yeah, a couple good. of other things to, I sent it to you in a direct message. Um, so a couple things. One is, uh, and this is responding to the comedic poems. I just read a review by A.M. Juster of a poet, uh, Wendy Cope who I believe was a UK poet laureate. Um, and she is so funny. Um, formal poet, older at this point, um, but very clever for those who are interested in sort of like amazing, formal, funny poetry. Um, not light, really, but but humorous. I, 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 I think there's a difference. The second yeah. is was responding to this, uh, what happens for me at Critique of the Week and in workshopping too. It's not um, getting, especially with a good critic, it's not getting my own, the, the, what I gain the most from is listening to the critic with other people's poems. Because, you know, my poem might have you know, a particular type of mistake or suggestion that I make, but I get a fuller sense of the craft of poetry, listening to a good critic expand on um, other, other folks' poems. It's not that I'm sensitive to folks critiquing my poems, but I tend to get more from the whole experience of the workshop, especially you know, just listening to the rhythms of the critique poet and what are the things that are interesting and important to them. So Critique of the Week has been that for me and one of the uh, one of the curricular elements in my People's MFA. Yes, um, the People's MFA, which you coined, and then I signed up for also so I can relate. And it's a really good point what you're talking about. I think what makes Critique of the Week that, again, Tim does uh, with Rattle every Friday on YouTube and uh, on Facebook is that we also are great at avoiding groupthink and not just, you know, if one person jumps on, you know, well, this title's not good. Then, then like if somebody disagrees, like we're comfortable enough that we can say it. And so I, I love the exchange and seeing which points of view differ and which things are, are closer as a result of that too. So it well, is so helpful without it, it even being our own poems. Well, and, and one of the things uh, Tim does, and I don't know if he does this on purpose, but he couches things in you know sort of deep craft like it's not just a suggestion it's a suggest you somebody said earlier it's a suggestion that's sort of based on and when i say deep craft i don't mean rules i mean what are the things behind the rules that make make craft so important um so that's what that's what it's been so useful for me um so the poem i'd like to read is uh, one of the first poems i ever got published and it was one of the first it was the first poem I ever got published in Rattle called I Like Muons and the reason why I wanted to read this one is thinking about how that this this is sort of like at one end of the spectrum of how poems work for me so there, there are a few 
my Rattle Poetry Prize finalist came out fully, was born fully formed. It's like, uh, you know, like a, a giving birth to a full-size human um, with a short labor. Uh, and this one was one that was like pulling shards of glass from my eyes. And one of the characteristics of this in, in, in um, uh, Mac Pages it keeps every iteration of every draft, like it makes saves every like minute or so. And you can go back and look at the early ones. And there are almost no words in my first draft that wound up in this one. And this was a combination of just working and working and working and working and working. And then it, the first line came out, but it took, you know, four days of fussing with it and agonizing over it before this line. So I'll, I'll read the poem. Um, oh, and then at two o'clock in the morning, Eastern time, realizing that the line breaks were all wrong and, and changing it. So a lot of, a lot of revision, but mostly just sitting and reflecting and working and failing and failing and failing and failing until the first line comes out. So that's probably half my poems are like that. This is I like muons. At the beginning, when the universe was hot, tiny ripples in the fabric of time became all that we see and even the emptiness we don't. Love and sorrow popped into existence long enough to matter to me. Thirteen billion years later, a teen possessed by atoms, charged by building blocks he couldn't fathom. A boy branded as aberrant, because stars seemed to matter more to him than girls, even though when he lay back on the dew-soaked grass on one of those clear nights when the wash of stars obscured the great blankness, he longed for someone soft and luminous to lie next to him, to absorb with him the multitudes of elementary particles cascading at light speed, invisible, running through the two of them, through the ground and rock beneath until those little bits met their own annihilation, ceased to be deep beneath us, me, the boy, and the soft one next to me, whose hand I'd clasp sweetly, me wobbly, as I emerged into being with her, if she was only there. I, like nuons, responded to unknown forces, was not really alone, merely, they said of me too, sensitive, hiding attraction for some unknown other. I, like muons, crashed through those that mattered around me, not noticed. I thought that if I winked out, some soft one might finally notice me, then wish uh, she'd look more closely before my demise. She would have seen how she moved me as I flew by. I survived that uncertainty, unlike muons, long enough to crash into another without being swallowed up, long enough to be seen and, unlike muons, to fall fast into an orbit, each of us around the other, both soft to the touch." Well, I can now say this space made me laugh earlier and now made me cry. That was such a beautiful reading of, I don't know, it's, you have a lot of competition for what I think your best poem is, but that's pretty hard to talk this last time or I have to say, that's so beautiful. 
Uh, well, thank you, and 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 I I like the poem. I, I of course, especially after getting accepted, right? You know, you send in these poets respond poems, and you know, a hundred fall into the void. Not you, Katie, but for the rest of us, until you know one, and then you start looking at the poem and realizing what you went through to make this poem unfold, and all that went into you know, building up the skill set and listening and the poetics and the commitment to uncertainty. Um, that's the thing that is sort of the deepest lesson of, of, of writing poems to me is the, is the embracing of ambiguity and uncertainty and entering into a poem completely blind and then allowing things to unfold. Because this started off as a sciencey thing. Yeah, just a, a retelling. Yeah, I I love the quote, commitment to uncertainty. I will be thinking about that. That is a brilliant way of putting it. I think Joe Barker wanted to comment on this poem too. Sure, so a couple things. I don't think you said it this way, Dick, but uh, the line that comes to my mind is a thousand failures. And I feel like my best work is maybe one success after failing a thousand times. And I think sometimes people who don't write poetry don't understand that, but that's... The Sometimes how you get to the end. Sometimes it comes out in 20 minutes, but not typically. The other thing is, I, I, is that the sonic effect of the poem is very strong. The slant rhymes, Adam, Fathom, just examples. But the best thing that I loved about it is I was there on the grass, the dew. Or, you know, I don't know the exact words, but I was with you. So if you can paint a picture and then pull us into it, that's fantastic. And then if you can take the macro and merge it with the micro, you know, that's the magic a little alliterative so kudos yeah thanks so much for sharing that Dick. that's really i'm so glad that you've read i don't think you've read that one in the space before so it was a particularly fitting one for for you to read and make me cry while tim's not here so i can't even get a hug after <laughs> well you, you you have about 20 of us here we're all virtually hugging you so oh thank you that's so wonderful thank you so much Okay, let's see. Uh, now, I'm so glad that Attractive Fahey is with us again this week. Uh, she was so moving when she was with us for this space about regrets and poetry and sharing our story, her story with us. So if you missed that particular space, definitely check out the podcast version. And thanks for being with us, Attractive, today. How are you doing? Thanks, Katie. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, I, I was after that program I was in, or that issue I was in, oh my God. What did I say? It was like a shock to myself that I um, had shared maybe. But anyway, it was fine. And part of me was glad I did it. So what I thought I'd read today is a poem I had published um, just a few weeks ago in the Bridge magazine here. And it's it's a beautiful magazine. It's a very creative journal. Um, it's it's um, Gregory, Gregory McCarthy is the um name of the editor and he just does some sort of also real stuff with this magazine so I always feel it's a a thrill to get into um, Abridged and the poem is called um, La Doncella and it's about the Inca girl that I don't know if anyone is familiar but I'd seen it come up in my timeline um, you know she was a mummy the um, she was a mummy, she's now a mummy, but she was a young girl sacrificed to the gods with two toddlers. And I'd seen the photograph and it's so striking, but it, it disturbed me. 
it fascinated me and I'm a little bit obsessive. So I read everything I could about her. And I think it was like sad for her imagining her life because um, they prepared her for this ritual. And then I now I hadn't it in the poem, but I was visualizing her having to climb that mountain 600 meters to be left in a cave for the gods, do you know? So anyway, I wrote this poem and uh, I, w- I didn't expect it to get um, be accepted because I thought people want what's this? So she has lots of different names. The maiden is another name. And if you look it up, you'll see because they were saying she was so, everything was so intact, even her blood. And they they could figure out her life story from taking, analysing ribs of her hair. So she was sacrificed to two toddlers. So you can read the rest yourself. And I'll just read the poem. La Doncella. After the long climb and over 500 years, 6,000 metres above sea, silenced inside a cave, tomb chamber beneath ground, a cold shrine chosen by elders in a Capacoca ritual. I have returned to where I began, a spectacle. Thirteen years old, sacrificed child of Inca, dressed in fabrics I'd weaved the last year of my life, drinking chica or coca, my life a preparation to die. Strands from my hair braided in adornment tell my story. Two toddler attendants, artefacts, dolls, laced with alcohol, a bag of cocaine stuffed in my mouth, preserved on an exhale. My mummified body held in perfection, blood ready to pour the pour over the peak of Mount Loliaco. My father said the sun god would arrive on rivers of wind. My spirit long gone when the lightning struck. Sealed inside a museum, I crave to live and taste air once more. Will my frozen body to breathe. So that's it. Yeah, she's in a museum now in Argentina. Um High Mountain Archaeology Museum. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a sad story, isn't it? But there you are. That was uh, such a beautiful poem, Attracta. I really appreciate you uh, tweeting it earlier and share it. I just want to say, too, uh, really quickly, too, I'm getting some tweets from people that want to share poems now, but we are, like, you know, really having run out of time. I'm also picking up my daughter from art camp after this, so I cannot go over. So you are not being ignored despite the person who tweeted me that. I just had to ask for them in advance because I wanted to be able to plan and do it. And then the ones who got in were definitely people who uh, have kindly spoken on this space before too. So Attracta, thank you so much uh, for sharing that. And then Joe Barker, I think you had a comment on Attracta's beautiful poem too. I did. Well, with the others, I've had longer comments, but on Attractus, as I listened to it, I felt like literally it was a gift to me from you. So thank you. Thank you. That's a lovely thing to say. Thank you so much, Joe. That's beautiful. Well, great. Well, I just, I've enjoyed everyone's poems uh, so very much today. And I really appreciate you taking the time 
to share them and to read them so beautifully and poignantly today. I love also the mix of poems that we got where we really got to run the gamut from being, you know, on the funnier side, of course, the feudal side to the more serious side, to the love poem side, you know, both uh, from Sylvie and Dick Westheimer. And I really appreciate everybody uh, for, for chiming in. Does anybody have anybody who's a speaker share their poems, have any thoughts that they would like to share before I go ahead? I guess I will pick one of my own to read um, while anybody is sharing their final thoughts. I would just say, Katie, that we missed him, but you're amazing and brilliant. And you've, I don't know how many shows you've done, but I knew this show before it was born and I'm happy to be part of the family. So thank you. Oh, that's so incredibly sweet. Thanks so much. I think that this is, uh, let's see, is this 26? I think this is 26, which is, it's so funny because we started this like at the beginning of this year and we already have this many episodes and gosh, it's, it's so fun. And I'm so glad that, um, you know, that we have created this little family on Twitter spaces. That's a cool poetry group, you know, of, uh, of friends. So I think that uh, I will then go ahead and read. So I had, I had five poems published by One Art yesterday, which was fun. And I think I will close out with the last poem that they curated of, of, this, uh, of this group. So this poem was inspired by my desire to explore what time really means and the idea of time not being as linear as maybe I once thought and looking at that. And so I wrote this, like I write so many of my poems on a plane. <laughs> And this is called, Let Me Hold the Door for You. Let me hold the door for you with both of my hands pressed on the glass, your own hands too tied to clasp, the threat of a door clapping closed right on your only nose. I used to think time was a hinge that doors opened and shut on the heels of each second as if I could simply grab a rag and Windex my way through the years. But even cracked glass can confuse a cardinal, and I can't stop opening all of these windows. Sometimes I forget to first pull up the blinds, and the metal sails shuffle around like timelines smacking the frame. I fly through and out and back in, and just like the wind, time curls from the cues with no end. So I uh, didn't pin my own poem <laughs> to the top before reading that. So I'm sorry, but at least I did everybody else's. I pinned everybody else's home to the top, which is really the important thing anyway. So thanks, you guys, so much. And I should say that next week, where Tim will be back in action in the space, we had a wonderful suggestion for a theme that came initially from Dick Westheimer, which is why publish books of poetry, essentially. And then Joe Barker, we were talking and you were you suggested a very similar idea too after Dick Westheimer. So it seems very faded that that is the topic of next week's The Poetry Space. So I just really want to thank you guys so much. Look forward to seeing you again next week. And look at this. We have exactly an hour. Tim is going to be so proud. So I hope that you guys feel inspired and write poems about everything, maybe even everything spice and doodle slices honor this week. So thanks so much for listening, guys. And have a great week. Take care.